Well, it's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is episode number 582 for February 13th, 2019. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. I could not be more thrilled to welcome back to the show none other than the long lost Donald Burr. How are you doing today, Donald? I'm still alive. <laughs> Which I worried about for a while. I couldn't find yeah. Donald for a couple of years. I was like, you still out there anywhere? And then one day he just popped right back up. So, And now you've come to us and said, hey, I need to be on Chit Chat. You've got a really fun story to tell us about, right? Yeah. So life has been kind of interesting in the Chinese proverb sense of the word. <laughs> and I... It's been so stressful. I decided I want to get myself an early Christmas present. Uh-huh. And something that I've always wanted is a 3D printer. And I was going to write uh, record a review for the Nozilla cast, but as I was writing it, it kept getting longer and longer and longer. And then I'm like, finally, I'm like, okay, fine. You know what? This would make a great chit-chat topic. Well, I have to tell you, uh, your outline is 3,851 <laughs> words. Yeah, I kind of went overboard. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but that always works. It's great because people get a, a, a good, it, some people just like to read. So that's great. But I'm sure we'll do this in less than four hours, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you know the rules. We got to start problem with the problem to be solved. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Um, so, I mean, obviously, 3D printers have a coolness factor. And, you know, I'm a sci-fi fan, and sci-fi has predicted a future for a long time where we could, you know, buy things uh, online, download them, and 3D print them. Um, we're not quite there yet. You can't exactly, you know, buy an iPad or a MacBook and print it. But <laughs> you can do quite a bit, quite a lot of useful things and solve some problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here are some of the problems I ended up solving with my printer. So my first problem is my headset. I've been doing a lot of work remotely, um, which means that we do a lot of our um, coordination via voice chat, uh, Google Hangouts, and go to meeting, that sort of thing. Yeah. And I don't really have a good place on my desk for my headset. So usually what it happens is it ends up falling over the side of the desk, get, getting all tangled up with the cords and stuff down there. So it's always like, you know, when we have a meeting, it's always a me you know, taking five, 10 minutes to find the darn thing and untangle it. So I thought, hey, you know what? We should, I should make this a wall hook so I can have it right there. So I went into Tinkercad, which is a online um, 3D modeling program and created a really simple wall hook. Literally, um, only three rectangles connected together. You know, no. So you didn't just go to, I don't know, like the hardware store and buy a hook? (laughs) <laughs> I, I, yeah. So, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just the simplest thing in the world. It's no sexy curves. I mean, Johnny I would probably cringe, but it works. And it took me less than five minutes to make. Okay. Uh, second problem um, we have our, an old refrigerator, but it still works great, except for the door shelves, the little plastic uh, clips that hold oh, the, hinge, yeah. the door hinges. You know, plastic gets brittle with age, and yeah, they're starting to break. Um, but it seems silly to replace a perfectly good fridge just because of the shelves are broken. But as it turns out, I was able to look online and someone created a shelf bracket, you know, compatible with my model of refrigerator, 3D printed it, and boom, my shelves are all back uh, in working order. Oh, so you didn't even have to design that. Exactly. Because oh. this, last... this is a high failure item, right? So somebody oh, else yeah. has already done it. Yep. And so the last problem, um, last 
that I want to talk about today is cases for my DIY electronics projects. I'm starting to make stuff with Arduinos and Raspberry Pis and stuff, mostly home automation things. Like I'm making an automatic blinds controller you know, to where you can you know, open the blinds, close the blinds, or you know, let in only X amount of light. Would you believe the today problem- we installed an automatic uh, blinds c- uh, controller just today? Ooh. Yeah, but I bet yours is going to be less expensive. It's the problem. The problem with mine, though, is you know I'm I I I make some custom some you know extra circuits. You know I I have extra boards attached to my Pi, so I can't just get you know. There's plenty of Raspberry Pi cases out there that I can buy, but they won't fit because you know I have these extra boards attached to my Pi. So. But what I did is, you know, online, of course, there are people who, who've designed Raspberry Pi cases. So I just took one of theirs and kind of stretched it, you know, to, oh, so yeah. it'll fit all my custom stuff. And now, now I've got a nice case yeah. for my thing. I, did you hear that I uh, uh, created a, a, um, a digital assistant called PyCroft on, on a Raspberry Pi? No, that's yeah, that sounds you cool. Gotta, yeah, you got to check it out. It's an open source project where you can download it and uh, make a. I need a case for it though. I got all this glop hanging off of the Raspberry oh, Pi. So when, when we talk about three D printers, that's first we need to talk a little about terminology. Okay. There are two basic types of three D printers. The first type is actually known by two names. You'll see these used interchangeably. FFF which stands for Fused Filament Fabrication, or FDM, which stands for Fused Deposition Modeling. Hmm. (laughs) This is by far the most popular type of 3D printer, and it's the kind that people generally think of, you know, when they, that they visualize when they think about, you know, what is a 3D printer? And the way it works is... Wait, are those two the same thing? Yeah. F and FDM are the exact same thing. Yeah, you'll see them used interchangeably. Okay. So this is this you know, typical 3D printer where you take um, you build up something layer by layer by depositing molten plastic one layer at a time. The right. advantages of this are you, you get you know for the price you get decent print quality, and the price is cheaper. These are the most popular type of printer, so you know a lot of um, innovation and and stuff has happened. So the prices really really come down. And they're also very, you know, they're very common, which also means that there's plenty of parts available, okay. lots of, you know, user groups and, you know, people that know a lot about these that are willing to support you and stuff. And they can print a lot of different types of material. Um, there's various types of plastics that have, you know, different um, strengths and, of course, colors. There's wood i'm using air quotes because technically <laughs> it's plastic infused with wood chips but it gives your prints a kind of woodsy finish oh that's cool a, i like there's it. also metallic again i'm using air quotes which is technically plastic infused with metal bis metal dust which gives your prints a cool shiny metallic look that's neat. there's also something called ninja flex which <laughs> is a flexible stretchy material and you just like to say that <laughs> yeah, Ninja, Ninja Flex. That's the coolest name. There's also Actually, that'd be a also, good superhero name. Yes. <laughs> There's also nylon. You can print with nylon, which mm. is extremely strong. Now, um, can I ask a quick question on this? I've I've sure. heard that there's in uh, different kinds of plastic that use that some are recyclable, so you can melt down what you created and extrude it and stick it back in, and others you oh, yeah. just have to throw it away. Which is this? 
Or is it dependent uh, on the material? You it depends put in? on the material. Okay. But yeah, there are actually machines that can, um, you know, melt your your leftover plastics and re-extrude them into a filament, which is kind of cool. So you melt down your refrigerator parts and make another <laughs> uh, hook for your headphones. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Now the disadvantages of this type of printer is generally they're they're slower than the other types of printers. Also, lots of moving parts, mm. and they're not the prints aren't you know they're durable, but they're not like super durable like you probably wouldn't use them to make you know engine parts you know things okay, that or a lever or something take, that's got a lot of stress on it it's something like that yeah okay. so the second now the second type of printer is called an sla which is stand for some reason stands for stereo lithography this is a high-end technology it's used by professional grade 3d printers and the way it works is it also builds parts layer by layer, but it does so using a photosensitive, photosensitive resin. Mm. Um, basically, it runs a, a light source, which is like a, either a laser beam or like a DLP project, projector chip. And using mirrors, it focuses that light and basically uses that point of light to harden this um, resin layer by layer to make your print. The I found out why it this... has an A at the end. It's it actually stands for stereolithography apparatus. Aha! So there is a reason. Mystery solved. So yeah, the advantages of this kind are the print quality is extremely high. I mean, you can literally make production quality stuff using SLA printing. Hmm. You know, you can actually sell something and it would look like a commercially made product. Okay. And also, as a result, they're also very strong. And SLA printers are faster because um, there's no, almost, you know, the only moving part is like the mirror that's directing the light. So it's really fast. So the the, so the, it, um, the curing process doesn't take a long time then? The, actually, the, that's now we're getting to disadvantages. Yeah. Oh. The curing process does take a while. Um, okay. It's also, it's also toxic. I mean, the resins <laughs> and the, uh, the uh, um, curing chemicals yeah you wouldn't want them like hanging around your house basically so this is very industrial and okay. as you might have guessed this is also expensive mm. so in terms of the hobbyist um 3d printer market you're pretty much gonna see fff printers okay and in that category there's actually two different types okay the first type is cartesian and as the name implies the way it Cartesian printers work is they have your standard X, Y, Z, or Z if you're Bart or Alistair, axes um, arranged in a square space. Um, this mean, One of the pros of this is it gives you an extremely large print area. Um, the typical pr um, hobbyist-grade 3D printers are print in 220 millimeters square. Which is a lot of area. Are you still there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. You didn't recognize it. I was listening, not talking. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> so, and and they make even bigger three um, D uh, Cartesian three D printers. So this is awesome. Huge print area. Um, you generally get a better surface finish. They're more accurate, and because they're more popular, you got you know lots of parts, and they're cheaper, and they're well supported. The so you say large print are, area, does it have to be a large print area? No, you could, um, they, they have ones? Cartesian printers that, yeah, they do make smaller ones, which okay. is actually pretty cool. The smaller, there's some nice, you know, 
small ones that will you know easily fit on your fit on your desk and they're pretty cheap hmm. of course the con there are some cons generally speaking cartesian printers are heavier they're bigger and they're more complex they have a lot of moving parts because you have you know your, your three axes and you have uh, motors and pulleys and and belts that move all those things okay the other type of of uh, fff printer is a delta uh and Instead of your, you know, X, Y, Z axes, you have three arms that form a triangle, and your print head sits at the apex of that triangle. Hmm. So rather than you know simple X, Y, Z coordinates, a delta printer, the the a delta printer's controller board has to basically solve an equation <laughs> to put the apex of that triangle at the right spot to print, you know, what it what it's doing. You know, what this of reminds this, me of is is the early um the early printers uh for drawings used a mm-hmm. used a, an arm that went out and was at, at uh well and actually the ones I used in doing paper drafting back in nineteen oh seven when I was born uh was was a triangular thing that you know it was a it was a linkage that was moving. But I mean that that those equations are not complex. They're geometry, so pretty well known equations, right? Right. Okay. Now, of course, the pros of this is they're very fast. You only have, you know, the three arms that move. So there's less mm-hmm. moving parts. So it's pretty fast. Um, you also get a larger, tend to get a larger vertical print area. And vertical, the delta meaning Z-axis? Yeah, in height. Okay. You, know, you can make taller prints, basically. Okay. And delta printers are generally smaller physically in size. Okay. The cons, however, are that they're not as accurate as Cartesian printers. You also get a smaller horizontal print area. And also the print bed of a Delta printer is circular. So, you know, it's not as convenient. Hmm. And in generally, they have a rougher surface finish and they tend to clog more. <laughs> Sounds like all of these have pretty significant downsides. Yeah, there, there's there's trade-offs, but you, you're but um you know they're they're they they work pretty well. Okay. Anyways, let's talk about the parts of a of a three D printer. You have, of course, the main in, the main uh, star of the show is the control board, um, which most three D printers now use basically what are the Atmel uh, microcontrollers. Which is basically the same chip that the Arduino uses. In fact, the very first 3D printer boards were actually Arduinos that people hacked <laughs> and, and, and used. Okay. Um, and these boards have a lot of different input-output uh, pins. There's inputs for sensors, outputs for heating elements. You know, turning, heating, heating the printer. Um, the um, what what's called the hot end. Um, mm. There's stepper motor controllers that control the uh, stepper motors. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and SD, usually, usually printer boards have an SD card slot, which is how you load in your things to print. Oh, really? They don't and just have like Ethernet or Wi-Fi or something. Usually not. Okay. Um, a lot, a, the, a lot of them also have USB, so you can actually tether them to your computer and print. Uh, from your computer, and they usually have an LCD controller of some type to at least you know to show what's going on and to you know let you enter basic commands. Hmm. Then you have your axes, um, and usually your x-axis slides left to right. Uh, 
your y-axis slides forward and forward and backwards, and your z or z axis goes up and down. This is assuming that you're looking at the printer, you know, um, straight on from the front. Yeah, okay. and the axes are typically are made up using rods. Um, there's two types of rods. There's smooth rods, which do the the most of the work of the axes. They s- actually support carry and direct the printer parts and so they have like a little motor that goes underneath it nor if with a smooth rod usually with the smooth rods is there um your whatever your printer carriage your print head is on bearings that slide along the smooth oh, rod okay. and then there's a motor that moves the print head using uh belts and pulleys okay all right and then that you have sense. threaded rods which are usually used for the z-axis um the way that the printer carriage that has the print head on it has captive nuts and they get raised or lowered using the uh, by turning the threaded rods for the Z axis, which is pretty cool. Okay. You have, of course, stepper motors are the heart and soul, really, because you can't really do anything without motors. And the typical uh, standard motor that 3D, 3D printers use is called the NEMA 17. Um, and generally, most 3D printers have a total of five motors. There's a motor for the X-axis, a motor for the Y-axis, two motors for the Z, and a motor con- to control the extruder, you know, shoving hmm. plastic into the into the hot end. So you are going to tell us why there's two for Z, right? Um, that's It's usually done for stability. Oh, okay. Make um, sure it's not all wobbly going up. Right. Okay. Then you you also have to have sensors. Um, they have limit switches, which let the controller board know when the print head you know is at the limit. You know when it's when it's hit the limit of travel. Okay. And then there's thermistors, which sense the temperature because you know when you you need to be able to know when you've heated up heated things up to the right temperature. Okay. And then you got the then you got the print bed, and this is the surface where your prints get printed on can be either heated or unheated. Um, heated beds help your parts from warp to prevent them from warping. So and it's them required. Stable, kind of? Huh? Is uh, keeping them heated keeps makes them stable somehow? Yeah. Hmm. And this is required for certain types of plastic, namely ABS, and it can help with other types of plastic. Non-heated hmm. beds um are generally only you can only print a certain type of plastic called PLA with a non-heated bed. Oh, PLA. That was the word they used when they were talking about which ones could be reused and not reused. PLA is yeah. the cheap stuff, right? Yeah. Okay. And finally, you have the extruder, which is the print head. And it consists of two parts. There's the hot end, which is the actual nozzle where the plastic gets heated and squirted out. Uh, <laughs> You know, the name is appropriate. And then there's the cold end, which is the part of the extruder that actually does the pushing. Okay. Um, it, it has a, so is, is the, how hot is the hot end? Um, depends on what type of plastic you're printing. Like, for example, for PLA, usually you print that at 200 degrees Celsius. So not touching it then? I'm sorry? Not touching it with your finger then? You wouldn't want to touch it with your finger, no. Wait, you said Celsius. Holy cow. Yeah. Okay. 
I won't touch it. Yeah, you it. wouldn't want to touch it with your finger unless your your fingers are made of asbestos or, or something. <laughs> and then the cold end is the extruder uh, like a plunger kind of thing? Like you stick a rod in and then the plunger shoves it? Or is it it's trickier a, than that? It's a kind of – it's a it's a toothed gear. Okay. Huh. And then finally, um, there's the files that you print. Um, okay. There's two main file formats. Uh, there's what's called an STL file, and sometimes you'll see an OBJ file as well. So this, this is, is the, basically for the object itself? Yes. This okay. is the object itself. So it's a fairly high-level file um, that describes a 3D object. Basically, 3D objects are constructed of you know, many, many, many triangles. <laughs> and this type of file is generated by your 3D modeling software. Some softwares have their own proprietary formats, but you, but they usually are able to export to one of the standard formats, STL or OBJ. Now you I, I don't remember just, if you're going to get into this or not, but um, what software do you use to create these uh, object files? I mean, you're not using um, an expensive AutoCAD or anything, are you? No, I'm I'm mostly using Tinker, Tinkercad, which is really cool and it's free. Ooh, I like the sound of that. Yeah. So you can't just shove a STL file at your 3D printer because the only thing the 3D printer knows how to do is move to X, this XYZ coordinate, you know, push out this amount of plastic. So you'll need, you need basically a intermediary that translates STL files into what's called G code, which is a standard language that industrial um, CNC machines use. CNC stands for com, uh, computer computer uh, numeric numeric control. Controlled, right? And it's basically a set of instructions on how to build something. You know, move to this coordinate, squirt out this much plastic, etc. In the old days, so they that, used to say, "Move the bit to this point and scrape away the metal." Right. So that's what the slicer is for. And the slicer is the software that translates the high-level 3D objects to the G-code. So you start with an STL, go through a slicer, and it turns into G-code? And then you shove that file at the printer, exactly. So it's like the slices they do through your brain in a... uh in an MRI or something? And then shoves it back together and makes a 3D model? (laughs) Yeah. So there are many slicers out there, but um, the one I recommend is Cura because it is really... Um, compatible with a large number of printers. It works pretty well, and it's available for Mac, Windows, and Linux. And mm. best of all, it's free. I like it. Hey, before yeah. I go to, we go too far. I I made fun of uh, AutoCAD for being super expensive, and you said, "Oh, I use Tinkercad. It's free." Guess who makes Tinkercad? Yeah, Autodesk, Autodesk. the people who make yep. AutoCAD. So good on yep. them for giving us something fun to play with. Yeah, and it's actually really quite capable. Um, Anyways, now let's talk about buying a 3D printer. Uh, what are my options? Um, prices have really, really come down, which is awesome. Um, I mean, you even have a lot of a lot of companies are jumping on the 3D printer bandwagon. You've even got big name companies like Dremel, you know, the power tool people. Yeah. And I believe there's another power tool, big power tool manufacturer that's also making 3D 3D printers now. But in, in, there's just tons of printers out there. And so, you know, competition and prices have come down. So your options are you can buy a fully assembled or mostly assembled printer. This is by far the easiest option. It's great if you want to get up and running quickly. You don't want to futz around with things and so on. And the best the best deals um, for in terms of quality and price, I think, is 
believe it or not, Monoprice. Oh, wow. Who would have thunk? I mean, you remember when Monoprice only made cables? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they have a great 3D printer called the Maker Select, and it's actually very capable. It it prints um, – it has a fully-sized print bed, so you can do 220 millimeters square. There's also, They also make the MP Select Mini, which, as the name implies, is a smaller printer. I believe it is 150 millimeters square. And literally, they're almost fully assembled. You literally only have to take, you know, the the uh, um, carriage and screw it to the base, and then just plug in a few wires, and they're all color coded and everything really easy. By the way, and the, they are that the big one. That's still pretty small. It's like uh, seven or eight inches. That's your typical hobbyist 3D printer size. Okay. That's where I can make my, my Ninja Flex superhero character. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, believe it or not, Monoprice makes wow. pretty decent 3D printers. 250 uh, bucks. I mean, that's getting down into just fun to give it a try, right? Yeah. And, I mean, this, I mean, only a couple of years ago, your 3D printers were like, you know, 500 and up, which is so it's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Your next option is, believe it or not, you can go completely do it yourself. If you're really willing, if you're willing to really get your hands dirty and put a lot of effort into it, you can literally build yourself a nice 3D printer from scratch. And that's because the 3D printer designs are open source. There's a project called RepRap, which stands for Rep Replicating Rapid Prototyper. And this uh, uh, organization basically have designs out for many different types of 3D printers, and they're all open source. You can go online, you can download the parts list, you know, you can order all the various parts. The frames are made of commonly available materials like uh, wood. Um, you know, you can get metallic rods from, you know, hardware stores. Stepper motors are easy, easily obtained. You can order them anywhere. Of course, you'll need some access to power tools like saws and drills and so forth. And some of the uh, 3D printer designs use 3D printed parts. And of course, <laughs> yeah, you got a chicken and egg problem there. And there's several ways to solve that. You can go to Hackerspace, which is an awesome thing. That you know, There are places where people can get together and work on DIY projects. And often they come equipped with various pieces of equipment like uh, power tools and 3D printers, as well as people that are available there to teach you how to use them. Or, of course, if you have a friend with a 3D printer, you can have them print stuff for you. And there are some commercial 3D printing services where you just send them a file and they'll print it for you. Yeah, okay. But So is that the way Donald Burr went? No. What I, I, what I decided to go with is the kit do-it-yourself approach. So a little is, bit of crazy, but not a lot of crazy. Exactly. Um, <laughs> I didn't want to go, you know, I didn't really want to go too far out into the weeds, sourcing my own parts, cutting my frame and so forth. So I decided to just get a kit. Um, and there's a lot of kits out there actually, but I ultimately went, ended up going with what's called the ANET A6. And this printer has a bit of a reputation. There has been have been some issues in the past, but they have corrected them. And this is the case of you know the internet has a long memory, and unfortunately, you know you'll no, still no, see a lot. So, your issues, you you didn't say it out loud, but in the notes you say safety and quality control problems. Was that like yeah. parts flying off or no? Just like um, 
Like the hot end being exposed to where your little fingers would want to go or something? No, it's more like, you know, things were like not, um, there was a one case where the hotbed wiring was, uh, could work itself loose, but they fixed that now. It's got it's okay. um, it's firmly seated now using um, silicone um, silicone goo. Um, but there's probably other it, reasons that people gave it uh, downward. Yeah, votes. I mean a lot of you know a lot of people who bought the kits really didn't really know what they're getting what they were getting themselves uh-huh. into. Um, they you know they expected something straightforward to put together like ikea furniture or something yeah <laughs> but yeah and yes it does require some effort which is exactly why i got it i wanted a project that i w- really could get my you know get my hands dirty with well, i'm looking um, at it on amazon and it still has three and a half reviews that's not bad yeah. i mean it's yeah. not like it's got a 1.5 or something to exactly. terrify you and speaking of amazon and whatever you end up getting you know you whatever kit you end up getting, I do recommend going with Amazon sellers because you may pay a bit more compared to other sites, but you know, the Amazon's easy peasy return policy is worth it. Right. So That's why yeah. You're winning. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the build process. The ANET kit comes with pretty much everything you need. Um, basic tools like screwdrivers and, and uh, hex um, hex drivers and stuff. But if you have your own tools, they're probably better. Um, oh, I happen okay. to have an I happen to have an iFixit toolkit, which I absolutely love. Oh, really it nice. literally has everything. Um, you you could also um, you also find if you have a pair of thin needle nose pliers, those can also be very helpful. And, and nobody, things- nobody comes up with better um, iFixit toolkits than uh, I'm sorry, toolkits for like little tweezers than iFixit. Oh yeah, good stuff. So before you begin, there are a couple of things that you really should check out because if you end up needing to return your printer, it's a lot easier to return it before you've assembled it. So obviously, unpack everything, sort the parts out, check them against the part list to make sure everything's there. Check your rods to make sure that they're straight. So, you know, find a flat surface and roll them on it. And that mm-hmm. way you'll, you'll be able to tell if they're straight or not. And do a basic electronics check. Plug in the power supply and then with the motherboard, make sure everything turns on and so forth. Right, right. Um, I mean, all that me. stuff we don't usually do when we get the IKEA kit, like count out the parts beforehand. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, I was just remembering something we built where we Steve was just losing his mind because the last step was to was to put the the little pegs in for it was this really complex uh, shelving that we got for all of our DVDs. And when he got done, there the little pegs weren't there, and he was really mad. And I, I looked over at the box, and there's a big orange piece of paper saying, "Anything you're looking for, you think you don't have, it's probably stuck to the tape inside." It's like, why didn't they just package it so that it didn't get stuck to the tape? It's like they, they put this paper into every single one saying, we're too dumb to package it correctly. And sure enough, they were all there. Oh. Yeah, exactly. So the build will probably take you about four to eight hours, depending on oh, how you know proficient with tools you are. And, you know. For me, realistically, I it was I did it over about a week of working, maybe one to two hours a day. It okay. was my hobby project, you know, in the evening hours after my day job. I'm sometimes disappointed when that kind of thing's too quick. 
Like I worked myself yeah, up to the excitement of building my own PC once. And when I did it, it took me like two hours. I was like, yeah, Boy, I thought I had like weeks that's of fun. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's now, good. The kit, the kit comes with instructions in a PDF file on, on an SD card, which oh. are actually okay. As far as instructions go, I, hmm. I've seen far worse. Let me put it to you that way. <laughs> There's all, but it, there are sp- spots where I was, I had some questions and YouTube videos helped out a lot with that. Oh, okay. So, you know, if you have a spot where you, if you get to a spot where you're like, I'm not quite sure what they're talking about, you know, do a search on YouTube. Um, I'll, I'll actually put some links to some, uh, I'll give you, uh, I'll put some links to some videos that I found useful. You know, tip, take it slow. Don't rush. Um, now <laughs> here's an important one. The pieces of acrylic come with little protective um, paper backings on them. Wait, what? Are, what is the? What's made of acrylic? Um, the the printer frame. Oh, okay. So they the the frame itself is made out of acrylic, and you're saying they have backing on them. And why is that important? You want to peel the backing off before you putting it before you put it together because <laughs> it's really hard to peel it off after it's all, all assembled. What, what does it wreck to leave the backing on? Does it just look stupid or does it actually hurt things? It doesn't hurt things. It just looks really weird. Oh, okay. Now, now you wouldn't when be speaking from experience here. <laughs> yeah. Now, when you're doing your wiring, when you're wiring everything up, get your wiring right from the get-go. Um, the kit comes with zip ties, little tie-down points, and wiring, wiring looms to make everything look all neat. Use them because, yeah, I didn't. I said, oh, I'm just going to put this thing together and you know worry about that later. And, yeah, I ended, I ended up with a spaghetti, spaghetti monster. Oh. <laughs> forever to get um, straightened out. What, what so, is yeah, a wiring it, loom? Is that something you a, weave the wires in and out of? It's like a little plastic covering that lets you bundle up a bunch of wires oh, you know, okay. so, that all, so that they're all neat. Okay. Um, care, be careful when you're tightening things. Don't over-tighten things, or you may end up stripping screws, or even worse, cracking the acrylic. Ooh. You'll need a pretty big workspace um, I actually cleared off the dining table. <laughs> it's um, immediately what I was saying. That's what dining room tables are for, right? Exactly, yeah. It's not like we host dinner parties or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you've got someone around who can help you, like, you know, turn the printer, hold it at an angle and so forth while you're working on one part of it, that tends to help. Okay. Um, as you, especially towards the end of the assembly process, it does tend to get rather large and bulky. Mm. And when finally, very important, when you're stringing the belts for the X and Y axes, get them as tight as possible. Um, the belts that the kit came with are okay. They're made of rubbers, but they, which means they do tend to stretch. So you want to try and get them as tight as possible from the get-go. And you want, ideally, that would be getting them just to the point where they twang like a guitar string when you pluck oh, it okay no no wobbling yeah. actual twanging no no wibble wobble yeah okay hey i just thought so, of something important i didn't ask you you talked yep. about all the different kinds of printers but i don't remember hearing or remembering uh which kind of printer is this this is a cartesian cartesian oh it is yeah oh okay yeah. so okay so now now let's now that we're ready to print um it's time, we'll need a few things the first thing you'll want 
is a decent uh, a set of calipers and a decent ruler and <laughs> as you see here in my notes metric please because <laughs> pretty much everything is is in the 3d printer world is measured in millimeters or centimeters or whatever So just start there instead of having to convert all the time and, and <laughs> yeah. eventually miss mars Right. Yes. <laughs> um, just for people who don't know, calipers are are like a like a ruler thing that has a um, a, a, a set of jaws that you you slide in and out until you grab hold of something. I'm holding my fingers up in case you can't see it. What I mean, right? Just for people who might not know that term. Right, and they actually, you can actually measure um, the diameter of things. You can also measure the in, inner diameter of things, right. like for screw holes, you know, that way you'll know, you'll know how big of a screw you need or whatever. Yeah. Um, you'll also need a 3d modeler. Um, I, I mentioned Tinkercad, which is my recommendation because it is literally, um, it's free and it's web-based and it works really, really well. I'm actually really amazed at how well it works. And it's literally just, you design things by taking objects, you know, they have like pre-made, uh, template objects like squares and circles and you can also go freehand if you want and you can actually build some pretty complex things using that and i will i totally forgot to do this in the show notes but i'll put a link to a really good uh, video tutorial that i found on it there's also um several great open source cad programs but you know they come with a learning curve there's freecad open scad um, Fusion 360 is Autodesk's big boy 3D package, and it normally costs an arm and a leg. But if you're a member of any educational institution, you know, even if you're taking like adult ed classes, um, you can get it for free. Um, Autodesk has a surprisingly lenient um, education dis, uh, education program. Which which one of them is? Were you just talking about? Fusion 360. Fusion 360, huh. And then there's Blender, which is an open source 3D modeling package, but it's really complex. Okay, good, because I, mean, I, I, I tried to learn it, and everybody was like, oh, yeah, it's super easy. And I was like, I did 3D design professionally as my job, and I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, Blender is. Uh, let me put it this. Let me put it this. Let me put it to you this way. I haven't f- completely figured out Blender yet. Good, good. Okay. Yeah. But like I meant also, you don't, strictly speaking, need a 3D modeler. If you just want to like download stuff and print it, there are places where you can download and print other people's designs. And probably the most popular of those is Thingiverse. Um, That's where I found my uh, fridge door bracket thingy. You literally go on there. You can, you know, it has a search function. You can search for things like, you know, Kenmore refrigerator door bracket or whatever. Wow. That's awesome. incredibly cool and there's another service uh, like that called my mini factory you and you also right. need the slicer which we talked about um and i mentioned cura that's the one i recommend it's free and works really well there's many other slicers out there some of them free and some of them not but r- really cura is a good starting point Great. You'll also need what I call a print extraction tool, aka putty knife or butter knife. <laughs> it's just something that you can wedge under your print and pry it off the print bed when you're done. Okay, um, so something that would come, for example, with your Play-Doh Fun Factory would work? <laughs> that would work, yeah. Okay, all right. I mean, because I got that. 
<laughs> and no, it so, isn't my grandson's. It's mine. <laughs> I let him play with um, it sometimes, though. So you'll also need isopropyl alcohol in a spray bottle because that makes it really handy to use for cleaning stuff. And also lint-free microfiber cloths. Some brass brushes, which are good because um, every now and then you'll get detritus accumulating on your 3D, on your printer nozzle. And I call them boogers, which is your favorite word. <laughs> so having a brass brush to clean your printer nozzle is really helpful. Oh, okay. And finally, you'll need a method to ensure that your print adheres to the print bed. Hmm. Okay. And how do you do that? Um, there are several approaches you can take. Um, one approach is to use a sticky agent. Um, a lot of people use glue sticks. To just you know, grab a glue stick and rub it across your print bed. Really? Some, and yeah. And there, are other people have found that hairspray works, but not just any hairspray. Specifically, Aquanet Extra <laughs> Super Hold Unscented. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, the, the, not this is not my preferred method because it tends to get messy because you have to clean it up all over the after place. every single print. Yeah. So what do you like uh, using? Um, the, I I actually started at first using what I'm next. What I'm going to talk about next is blue tape. Um, this is you know painters tape and specifically 3M Scotch Blue Original Painters Tape Model 2090. <laughs> I've tried other brands; they do not work as well. So um, yeah. I'm confused. That's not double sided tape. So how does that? Uh, no. How does the, that what, work? What it, it basically, you know, the the upper surface of the painter's tape is actually grippy enough to, you know, make so that the prints can adhere to it without uh, hmm. without lifting or curling. It's really surprising. Works surprisingly well, and you can le- You don't need to. Uh, you only need to reapply it if you know it gets damaged somehow. You accidentally, you accidentally scrape off a piece of it, oh, or if, it, oh, sorry, or or eventually the surface will wear down, and it won't be as grippy. Now I'm but not yeah, sure you were as specific as you needed to be. I'm looking, and there's 2090-36A. There's 2090-uh. Wait, there was something with an E on it. <laughs> Uh, we should be okay. Any of we? the twenty nine, yeah. Any, okay, any, any of, of the, the twenty nine. I think series. the uh, the the sub models are basically the width of the tape, and I tend to use the widest that you can get. Okay. So I started with blue tape, but now I'm on a material called PEI, which is a sort of plastic sheet. Is actually um, the plastic that surprisingly is that McDonald's food trays are made out of. Hmm. <laughs> Who'd have thunk? Um, it is a miracle substance. Prints stick to it like nobody's business, um, and it lasts pretty much forever. Um, eventually, you might have to re sort of renew the surface just by sanding it with a uh, um, high grit sandpaper. But it's amazing stuff. Huh? Why don't um, they make the yeah. beds out of it? Actually, some of the 3D printer companies now do. <laughs> um, now, the, now, there's a trick to installing it, and I found this out by not installing it properly the first time and having to redo it. <laughs> you want to peel off only a, you know, it comes with a uh, a paper backing, you know, a, sure. that uh, 
Like the stuff uh, um, you forgot to, to take off of the acrylic? Yeah. Yeah. So you want to peel off the backing, only a corner of it, apply that corner, and then make sure everything is straight. And then you gradually peel away the backing as you apply it and you sort of, while you're smoothing it down. Because the, the glue that comes on these sheets is very tacky. <laughs> you have to oh, get okay. it right the first time. So the PEI sheet, is it uh, like like a thin film or is it a hard sheet? It's a hard sheet. Okay. So it doesn't bubble real badly or anything. No. Um, okay. And that's the second trick is once you have the, the sheet applied, you want to heat your print bed up to 60, 60 degrees Celsius and smooth it down. Apply pressure evenly across the thing in a sweeping motion. Wait a minute. In 60 a sweeping... C is 140 degrees Fahrenheit. What are you sweeping yeah. it down with? Um, I use a towel. Oh, okay. Um, I, <laughs> You want to sweep it in a in a in a uh, evenly across the thing, to, and that causes the glue to set. Okay. I did not do that the first time, and the glue didn't set properly, and it got oh. all bubbly and weird. And yeah, it didn't work. Okay. And care and maintenance—it's really not that difficult. Uh, you want to clean it before and after you print with a spritz of. Um, I put IPA. I don't know why. I put, oh, IP, I, isopropyl alcohol. Oh, not I was going to say a, a nice beer. <laughs> yeah, not India Pale Ale. I'm no, yeah, writing that out in full words. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, that's what the uh, alcohol in a spray bottle is for. Oh, and okay. then you want to, and then periodically, if your prints start to not stick quite as readily, um, it'll be time. It's time to uh, refinish the surface by even giving it. Uh, light sanding with uh, 600 to 1,000 grit sandpaper. Really? That's, so you don't yeah. have to apply this ever again? You just sand it down a little bit and it starts sticking yep. again? Okay, so it, yep. it, it sounds like the, the resin just needs, or whatever you're using, the plastic, just needs something to adhere to. It doesn't need to be sticky as much as it, it needs um, a, a tiny bit of depth. Yeah. Something to, to hold on to, not a slick surface. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And finally, if you're Especially if you're like building things that you want to assemble, like for example, my for example my Raspberry Pi cases. It's good to have an assortment of nuts and bolts around. Um, there's these great little you know plastic boxes of of assorted nuts and bolts you can buy on Amazon or wherever. And it's good to have them, you know, to have things so that you can screw things together as needed and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is good. To so have at the all times. Right. So the basic procedure is you load a file into your slicer and you slice it, copy that file to an SD card, or you can tether your computer to the printer using USB and then hit print. Hmm. But as you may imagine, there are some gotchas. And my first prints came out horrible. <laughs> and honest, to be honest, yours probably will too, because, I mean, maybe not as bad as mine, but you'll still probably run into some issues. I mean, there are a lot of variables involved in 3D printing. And basically, don't get discouraged. And yeah, I, in, in my show notes, I sent a picture of some of my early print failures. So let's talk about the issues that I ran, ran into and how I resolved them. Uh, the prints, prints that don't stick or messy first layers, you know, where the first layer of your print is like totally uneven or blotchy or has holes in it. Hmm. Most likely this is due to an unleveled print bed. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't remember you, you wanna... saying we had to have a level in our toolkit there. 
um, the, 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 um, there is a procedure for that. It doesn't really. Um, so yeah, first you want to have you know having a level print bed is absolutely crucial. Otherwise, the first layer won't print correctly. Um, as the part you know at the parts where the bed is too close to the nozzle, oh. the print will get smooshed in too far, mm. or it'll be so close to the nozzle that there, that plastic won't even come out. And if at the parts of the print bed where it's too far from the nozzle, then the plastic will come out too high and may not stick. So, and bed leveling is tedious, but once you do it a few times, you get the hang of it. Um, and the basic procedure is you want, you, you want to home your axes. There's a, on the printer control menu, there's a setting, uh, there's a menu option, home home printer that basically mm -hmm. moves the X, Y, and Z to their home positions. Mm -hmm. um, then you want to preheat both the bed and the hot end to the temperature that you usually print at. Then disable the stepper motors. Again, in your printer um, control panel, there's an option for disable steppers. Now grab yourself a piece of standard office paper. You want to move the print head to the front left corner of the bed and slide the paper underneath it. And there's a now there's a screw, a thumb screw under the bed that you can tighten or loosen um, to make the print bed come closer or farther away from the nozzle. And you want to get it set so that the paper just starts to develop some friction as you slide it around. You don't want it mm. too tight, just to the point where you feel a little resistance as you're sliding the paper around. Mm. And then repeat this procedure for the other three corners of the print bed. And then so, so wait a minute. So there's so there's uh, thumb screws in the four corners. Yes, that are tilting the the you're leveling the the uh, the bed by raising right. and lowering. You would think there'd only be three points, not four. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So 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 yeah, you want to uh, repeat that for other the other three corners, and then repeat the entire procedure again from the beginning because adjusting one corner might have thrown off the calibration of the the others. So I got to tell you, that reminds me of I was in a restaurant once and the table was was rocking, and you know what you do, right? You grab a, yeah. you grab a, a pack of matches and you and you stick it under the leg that's too short. So I grab a pack of matches, I look under the table. There's matches under three of the legs. I took them out. It was flat. <laughs> so yeah, you'll you'll need to re-level. Um, you'll need to repeat this procedure every five to ten prints, as well wow. as any time you physically move the printer. I mean, these are mechanical devices, so as they run, they'll naturally drift out of, out of calibration. And of course, moving it will also can also knock things out of calibration. Well, if you think about a, a musical instrument, if you go outdoors with your, your flute and you come back in, you have to tune it again, right? Right. I mean, you yeah. don't not tune before a new concert, so it's the same kind of thing, right? Right. Now, the ANET kit um, came with wing nuts for um, the, uh, the, uh, you know, the under-the-bed adjustment things. And those things were murder on my fingers. Oh. <laughs> so you want to either get yourself or print yourself some decent <laughs> thumb screws. Wait, what's a thumb screw that doesn't hurt your thumbs that's so not a wing net? Um it's a you know it's just like a, a knurled knob or something? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Huh. Um and of course you should also make sure you know, as you're set wherever you're setting up the printer is as level as possible. Okay. Um it's, now, it sounds like that's not actually as big of an effect 
as uh, the leveling the of the print bed itself. The bed is the is the yeah. is the crucial part. Now I see why you now, just skip past my doesn't it come with a level question. Yeah. Now you can print. There are some things that you can print to test to make sure that your first layer is sticking and that your bed is level. Um, they're, 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 basically, they're like little test patterns that um, you know go across the whole print bed so that you can tell you know if one side of it you know is too far up so the the print gets smooshed in and and it doesn't you know doesn't print as well so yeah donald's included the uh the urls for thingiverse and i like what they're called it's thingiverse.com slash thing colon 408381 well they're all things (laughs) right (laughs) yep their url scheme is awesome that's great Mm, now Ideally, your first layer should be a little bit squished into the bed, but not completely. And I like to use the, the sausage analogy. You don't want your print to look like a, a roll of sausage you know, just sitting on top. You also don't want your print to be completely smushed in. You want it to look like kind of like a roll of sausage sliced in half lengthwise. Uh, does, that make, does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah. It, which side is up? The flat side of the sliced sausage? The flat side is against the bed. Okay. So just so a, like a little just a little a, bit okay. of curvature, but not completely smooshed down flat. Now the next problem I ran to is uneven layers. Um that think like putting a pile of business cards on your desk, but they're not aligned with each other. So you have like jagged edges. I don't know if that's the right, if that's a good yeah. analogy or not. Yeah. Um, the, and the thing that I had to do to solve that is tightening my belts. I did not get my belts optimally tight from the get go, okay. so I had to basically take them up, take them off, and restring them. Um, like and I said, what you said up notes. front about make them pluck like a guitar. So they yeah. were they were like a, an old uh, uh, ukulele left out in the rain, and you had to yeah. <laughs> Now, the cool thing is, and this is actually really cool about 3D printers, is they can print parts to help themselves. So you can actually print what are called belt tensioners, which are devices that will let you easily retention your belts just by turning a a screw. (laughs) Or you can get better belts. There are um, fiberglass-reinforced belts that don't stretch as much. They keep their shape. You also want to make sure that your X and Y axes can slide freely on their respective rods. If you have the rods even slightly out of alignment, you know, it your your carriage won't slide evenly across the whole length of it. Um, and speaking of rods, <laughs> a little little uh, ribald humor here. You want to make sure you lube your rods and get your mind out of the gutter. <laughs> Uh, there are actually two different types of of uh, lubrication that I use. For the smooth rods, I use what's called super lube oil, and this is an uh, a synthetic oil that has um, like a, a uh, sort of a synthetic agent called PTFE embedded in it. It's really long lasting and it's really slippery. And for the threaded rods, I use super lube grease, which is a which is like the oil but thicker. Okay. You also um want to make sure that the threaded rods for the Z axes aren't inserted too far into the motor coupler. 
you want to leave enough room for the coupler to be able to flex. And this is kind of hard to explain in yeah. words, so <laughs> I actually drew a little picture. Oh, did you? <laughs> I did. All right. I, I may expand some of your – he's put uh, imager uh, links for all of these, but I may expand them and stick them in the notes. Yeah, because that one's a little uh, a little harder to picture. Yeah. Um, all right. Parts don't print at the correct size. Are, are these all me. things you screwed up, by the way? Is that where you came up your list? Uh, yeah. <laughs> things that I needed to – actually, um, my, my – um, I didn't have the size problem, but I wanted to include it there because some people might. Um, you, so, you know, if you're printing something that's supposed to be 10 millimeters and it's like way off, that means you might need to calibrate your printer. And there are several things. Usually, usually this isn't necessary, at least at first. And there are several ways to calibrate. You can calibrate the axes, which are, which is called steps per millimeter. And you, you do this by printing something at a known size. Okay. You know, so the common thing that people use is a what's called a 20 millimeter calibration cube. And like okay. the name implies, it's a cube that's 20 meters, uh, 20, <laughs> 20 millimeters in, in dimension. And so you, you print that out and then you measure it with your calipers. And, you know, if it's not, if it's, if it's way off, then you can basically, um, calculate an adjustment to your steps per millimeter and there are website there's a web great website that i included that details this procedure in great detail like i said you probably won't run into this issue okay uh, can i ask yeah. a question is the sure. uh, steps per millimeter is that something you type in or something you have to adjust a screw to do or it's something you type in and okay. it gets stored in the printer's for okay. in, in the printer's firmware okay so it's part of the calibration information got it Right. You may also need to calibrate your extruder because, you know, if you tell it extrude 10 millimeters of plastic, you know, it might only extrude eight or it might or it might extrude 12 millimeters. And, you know, that can throw things off. And the way you do that is you tell it to extrude a known amount of filament, you know, extrude 10 millimeters, and then you measure how much it actually extruded. And then you can calculate an adjustment for your, for your extruder's steps per millimeter. Okay. And by the, by the way, I, I meant to mention when we when we were talking about calipers, I got in in the real world, people who build things all the time do this kind of calibration all the time to their equipment. You have you have little inspection stickers that say whether it's been uh, calibrated. And after a certain number of calibrations, they're not legal to use anymore on certain projects. And that's how I got my calipers was the calipers I was using at work got beyond the age at which I could get them calibrated anymore. And they said I could take them. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, so they're really nice. I mean, I don't think the accuracy I get uh, need, I'm going to be in big trouble on the calibration issue. But this is a standard thing to have to calibrate manufacturing equipment. Absolutely. So there are a couple of test prints that you can print to test your calibration. And I think I've mentioned a couple of these before. The bed calibration test, which is a quick way to check your bed leveling. There's the 20-millimeter calibration cube, and I have links to all these in the show notes. And finally, there's the 3D Benchy. And this is a model of a little boat that contains many – and oops, I didn't complete my thought here in the show notes. It contains many features that are challenging for 3D printers to print. So if you if you print a benchy and it looks right, then you know you're on the right track. Okay, 
I completed your so, thoughts for you. Yeah. It's a <laughs> little you. boat. That's fun. Yeah. It's also really cute. <laughs> <laughs> so you so get something getting, afterwards. Yeah. So getting prints to stick, you know, we talked about that earlier. If you're having trouble getting your prints to stick, there are certain feet. Um, you know, if, if you know you tried your PE, your PEI or your glue stick or whatever, and things still aren't sticking, there are certain features in your slicing software that you can turn on to help. Hmm. You can turn on what's called a brim, which is just like the brim of a hat. It's basically a kind of a, and again, a, I a I little brim. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a a uh, brim of plastic that surround uh, that comes out from the base of your print that basically helps it adhere to the bed and you know once your print is done it's you can easily break it away you can also make a, a raft which you know just like a river raft it's a structure that prints under your part um, this is especially helpful if you're trying to print something that doesn't have a flat base like say the letter w you know it, it has just these two little points that that uh, you know that that lay on the bed, and that's not enough um, traction to get things to stick. So that's where raft rafts come into play. Huh. Now, if your if the first bits of plastic that are extruded from the nozzle come out dirty or messy, or you get what I, what I like to call boogers, your favorite words, mm -hmm. uh, little blobs of plastic, you know, uneven plastic. Um, that's when you'll want to do something called priming the nozzle, which basically, you know, means squirting out some plastic before you actually start printing the thing that you're trying to print. Anybody who's that, ever used hairspray out of a squirt bottle that doesn't have aerosol, they know what that is. Mm -hmm. Pump, 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 so, pump, pump. Yeah, yep. For that, you can turn on something in your slicing software called a skirt, hmm. which is basically a – it prints an outline of the part that you're printing, you know, spaced, you know, a couple millimeters from the actual parts so it doesn't uh, collide with it. Oh, it so it that does that out. and then it starts doing the real print? Yeah. So oh. by, so that's that way your nozzle – it gives the nozzle a chance to get up to speed and oh. stabilize. That's really interesting. Yeah. Now, you might also run in, into a situation where part of your prints are droopy. <laughs> and that's mainly due to physics, because 3D printers can't print in, in midair. They need something underneath them you know, when they're squirting out the plastic. Otherwise, you get droopiness. <laughs> For this, um, you, can, you can turn on something called supports, support structures in your slicing software. These are basically little bits of plastic that provide a base for things to print on. Think like scaffolding you put up against a building, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And once your print is done, you can easily snap these off. So that, that so, used to happen in, in uh, games when we were a little kid, right? The first thing you did when you opened up a new game with the little plastic pieces, you'd have to snap off all the uh, scaffolding. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Think of you know. Think about if you're trying to print the letter T. Um, you know, the base is fine, but once you get to the arms of the T, yeah, there's nothing, nothing there to print against. So you'll get a nice droopy, okay, <laughs> you know, Salvador Dali T. Now, after these so things dry or uh, cool, that's when it's safe to take the little scaffoldings off. Yep. Okay. And the slice of software figures out where to put them. Yeah, wow. it's really smart now. Wow, we talked about and, the geometry math. This is way more harder. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, 
and actually in some slicers, I believe Cura now has this feature, you can actually um, customize the support. So if it didn't get it quite right, you can, you know, you can customize it. Hmm. There are now, of course, there are a lot of other things that can go wrong. And I've put a, a link here to a guide that uh, Simplify 3D, which is another slicer software, have put together that is really helpful. And it basically gives – it's a pictorial guide You know, you, that you just you know, look for the picture of what your print is doing, and it'll <laughs> tell you, what, you know, where, where you might need to fix something. Oh, nice. Now, after all my tweaking – um yeah my tweaking really really um generated some great results and you know i have a link here for a before and after let's see i'm going to look at it he's got little cubes in here <laughs> so yeah so once you did all those things that was working a lot better huh oh, oh yeah. there's the little boat yep <laughs> i like so, it so periodic maintenance, you know, it's it's good to to uh, maintain, you know, run maintenance on things because these are you know machines with moving parts, so they need a little TLC sometimes. Um, clean your bed and your nozzle after every print. Brush away any boogers <laughs> with a with the brass brush. Do this right after the print ends and before the nozzle cools mm. down. Otherwise, it'll be impossible to to get the plastic dislodged. Um, I, I know print, I keep coming up with analogies, but I'm picturing right after they make your frothy drink with in, at Starbucks, they grab a towel and they wipe down that nozzle. Yes, before it cools down. Exactly. Okay. Give your print, give your print bed a wipe down with isopropyl alcohol. Clean off any stray bits of plastic that may have stuck to it. And if you if you decided to use glue stick or hairspray, clean it up because yeah. It's, it <laughs> you mean don't just back. keep spraying hairspray every time onto it? Yeah. <laughs> And periodically, you know, maybe every one to two weeks, depending on how often you print, uh, do a visual check of all screws, nuts, and bolts. You know, these are machines with moving parts, and that they vibrate a lot, so things can work themselves loose over time sometimes. Um, do a quick check of your wiring, make sure there's no frayed wiring, burnt insulation, and so forth. And, you know, do your bed leveling. Hmm. Now let's talk upgrades because honestly, this is probably the, the funnest part of, of it. There are a lot of useful upgrades you can make to your printer, many of which you can actually construct using the printer itself, which I think is really <laughs> one of the really cooler things about 3D printing. <laughs> I think there's some uh, science fiction books about this idea. Yeah. So things you can buy. Let's start with things you can buy. Um, first is a device called a MOSFET. It basically helps relieve strain from your printer's motherboard um, when the printer when the, when the when the printer turns the heat bed on. You know that's a lot of power flowing through the motherboard, and eventually that could be detrimental. What a MOSFET is, it's kind of like an external power switch. It handle it handles the uh, the task of sending large amounts of current to your uh, heat heated bed, and relieves that load from the from the printer motherboard. You also might want to get a beefier power supply. Uh, the ANET comes with a 20-watt supply, which is decent. But if you want your uh, bed and extruder to heat up much faster, or if you want more headroom for attaching things to your printer, like LED lights and stuff. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The beefier power supply, you're not making that. 
Oh, that's, this is stuff you buy. Right. Okay. <laughs> and we, we talked about the fiberglass reinforced timing belts. Um, if you want the, uh, you know, if, if, if you want to be able to, you know, get um, your, your belts tightened without, you know, without having to redo them every, every, every week or whatever. Uh-huh. And finally, probably the coolest thing is get yourself a Raspberry Pi plus a piece of open source software called OctoPrint. This basically lets you put your printer on the network. Ooh. So now, instead of having to tether your laptop to it or you know, shove in an SD card, you can send files to print over the network, and it'll handle. And the Pi will handle all the printing and other stuff. Plus, you can get cool status reports, and you can even hook a webcam to the Pi, and that way you can watch you can watch your printer, which is really oh, cool. Actually, wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you were you were uh, holding out on me when I said you mean this doesn't have Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about things that you can print. Again, this is, I think, one of the cooler things. The printer can actually print stuff to improve itself. And one of the first things um, that I would print is a heated bed wiring strain relief. Because um, the heated bed moves around a lot. Um, and this could cause the wires eventually to short out, you know, because a lot of physical motion, um, constant friction. So a lot of people have designed little strain relief clips that will basically, you know, prevent the wires from flexing every time the print bed moves. Ah. Yeah. Now, you also might want to print a um, semicircular fan duct. Now, the, the uh, print head has a fan that helps cool the parts as the part as it's being printed, which is very important. But the fan duct that the printer came with is it's okay, but um, it, it's only unidirectional. There are some people who've made these really cool-looking semicircular fan ducts that do a much better job of of cooling cooling the printed parts. So yeah, print one of those. Um, I talked about belt tensioners. Um, extruder button cover. Um, there, now there's a little button that you have to press when you have, whenever you want to change filament, and it's pretty hard on the fingers. Um, it's just this basically a bolt head. <laughs> so, so pre- pressing on it, yeah, it, it gets really hard on the fingers. So I'm starting to just, think you have delicate little fingers there. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, Let's see. Filament change solution. It lets you easily move the fan out of the out of the way, so that you can see inside, you know, into the print the, oh. the extruder, which makes changing film, which makes changing filament a ton easier. Huh. Um, and there's also a power supply cover, which also lets you add a power socket and a switch to your power supply, which is kind of cool. Now, and, all of these things are if you build this specific kind of uh, printer, or are these applicable to any printer you would build or buy? Or any any printer, even if you built the pre-built ones from uh, that you showed us on Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now, finally, I want to 
talk about Marlin, which is a, an improved firmware for your printer. Um, it's open source. You know, that's the really cool thing about the 3D printer community. A lot of, a lot of it is open source. And the Marlin firmware um, allows many additional features, improves performance. It's definitely not needed, but if you're up to the task, installing Marlin will vastly improve your 3D printer. Hmm. Like, and there's really, what kind of and thing? Really, faster, smoother? Faster, smoother. Oh. Um, there's a, yeah, so there's um, some good YouTube videos on how to install Marlin, and I'll link to those. Okay. And lastly, we have to talk a little bit about safety. Because 3D printers are electronic devices, they contain things that, that get hot, which means you have a potential for a fire risk. So never ever run your printer unattended. Um it's okay if you like if you're in other another part of the house or even you know if you if you take a nap or whatever just don't run your printer when you're when no one's around. Okay. And also I would definitely um put a decent uh, smoke detector near it. Oh uh, really? Sure. Just yeah. in case. Just in case. And so yeah that's that's pretty much it. It's really turning out to be a fun hobby and you know i'm I'm actually learning um getting better at my 3d design and stuff so it's been it's been a lot of fun you know the way i'm going to pitch this uh before or when i talk about it on the nocilicast and tell people to come listen to this is even if you have no intention of ever doing this yourself i love listening to you describe this this is uh your your descriptions are so good and so vivid and you have a way of tricking me into your madness. Uh, <laughs> ever since I built my own own VPN server at home, which is like, how did you talk me into that? But you made it sound so fun, you know, and it really was. It really was. But um, with with everything that you do and the way you describe it, it's just so vivid. And you're, I, I just went back and looked at the I, I saw the after pictures of the like the little boat and the cube. Your original cube looks pretty bad. <laughs> it- it was horrible. It's, it's <laughs> it actually, like, you can't tell what it was supposed to look like. Exactly. <laughs> it was a real mess. Yeah. So I think I may embed some of those right into the, the graphics so we can see how great they look. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is really cool, Donald. If people wanted to get a hold of you and, uh, and uh, find out more about what you're doing or tell you how cool they thought this was, how would they, how would they get a hold of you? So I'm currently working on revamping my personal website at donaldburr.com and actually I want, want to talk to you about that at some point because I'm, I'm interested in what WordPress plugins you're using for for podfeet.com oh, okay. because I kind of I really like that layout oh good good yeah and I'm, so, yeah, you know, I'm all have... over bootstrap and all kinds of cool stuff now, oh yeah so. I've, I've been listening to programming by, by, by stealth and it's been awesome oh yeah good times uh, can, you got a Twitter handle or anything like that or yeah, I'm also on Twitter as at dbrr and I'm actually going to be revamping my YouTube channel as well, which has been kind of laying dormant. But I'm basically going to be starting up a maker channel where I talk about you know things that I build. Oh, cool! And where? How would they find that? Um, it's I forget what what my YouTube URL is, but it'll be linked off of my website when I get it set up. Okay, great. Well, this has been so much fun, Donald. I really appreciate you coming back on the show and. Uh, I was just smiling and grinning all the way through this. I'm I'm not sure I'll build one, but I might go buy one of those pre-made ones. That sounds fun. That sounds yeah, awesome. The Monoprice, the Monoprice Mini is a sweet little printer. 
Yeah, yeah, it looks great. Okay, well, we'll talk to you again soon, I hope, not years. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm back. All right, bye, Donald. Bye-bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. Did you notice there weren't any ads in the show? That's because this show is not ad-supported. It's supported by you. If you learned something, or maybe you were just entertained, consider contributing to the Podfeet podcast. You can do that by going over to podfeet.com and look for the big red button that says support the show. When you click that button, you're going to find different ways to contribute. If you like to do a one-time donation, you can click the PayPal button. If you want to make a recurring contribution, click the weekly Patreon button. Or another way to contribute is to record a listener contribution. It's a great way to help the NoSillaCast ways learn from you. If you want to contact me for any reason, you can email me at allison at podfeet.com and you can follow me on Twitter at podfeet. Maybe you want to talk to other NoSilla castaways. There's two great places to do that. You can do that in our Slack group at podfeet.com slash Slack, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com slash Facebook. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed. <laughs>